Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Paul LeMay with us. He is the co-author of the book Primal Mind, Primal Games, Why We Do What We Do. Back to telepathy, Paul, for a moment. Are you saying then that telepathy is caused by the brain primarily? No. Aha. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I would say that the... There is a biomolecular structure within our bodies, and not just in the brain, could be in the heart, could be in any of the living tissue, um, that is sensitive to quantum-based information. Photons, you see, George, most, most of the biochemistry that is taught today is taught with Valerie Hunt. The, the, I don't know if you remember or know of uh, the late UCLA physiologist by the name of Valerie Hunt. But she, she did a lot of research in, in uh, telemetry research pioneer in uh, vibratory states in the human body. And she found vibratory states that far exceeded what we see today in a lot of the conventional brain science, where we say that the bra- brain waves only go up to, say, 40, maybe 45 hertz. She said, that's just rubbish. We have vibrations in the body that go well into the hundreds of thousands of cycles a second. And, of course, her, her mainstream uh, colleagues were aghast when she would say such things because it would imply that our, our physiology is capable of much, much more of than what we've been told. So this is part of the problem with w- w- which we have right now. Science itself has been somewhat victimized. So now let's get back to this, your question, the core of your question. Is it the body that's doing this? No, but the body is acting as a, the, these little these little structures, these hexagonal, pentagonal, aromatic rings, are essentially holders of this energy state. And now if you do the math, and we've done it in our second book, just to see, just for fun, to see what would happen, the computational information-holding capability of our bodies is in extraordinary astronomical numbers in the numbers like sextillion you know so th- when we when you get into that kind of computational capability it would suggest to us that the the information that's not just within us as beings as souls whatever that may be you know from previous incarnations but for those that the information that's in the universe at large you know it's held they call it the akashic field that we know from from just conventional physics, that what we call the empty space isn't empty at all. It's charged with massive amounts of information or energy, and that that holds information in and of itself. We don't talk about it that way in in conventional physics, although John Wheeler, a famous physicist from Princeton University who worked with Einstein, he had talked about his three phases of his career. We said in his first phase was everything was particles. In the second phase of his career, everything was waves. And in the third phase of his career, everything was information. So in a sense, what he was trying to convey there is that information is actually the base condition for all energetic manifestation in our universe. So that's why I'm using the word information here with photons. Light that comes from the sun is not maybe just light. It's holding informational potential. And just as our souls are holding informational potential, 
So these, these are at a quantum state. That's the difference between electrons, which is the normative biochemical model, uses, talks about electrons all the time, and photons. One, electrons belong to what are called the fermionic family, and they are belonging to, generally speaking, a quantum a wave state collapsed configuration, whereas information that's from photonic sources is non-quantum wave collapsed, which means it's indeterminate. That indeterminacy is the reason why information can flow in this non-ordinary way. The, the, what's interesting to me is that when you and I are exchanging words, right, mm -hmm. we are using a language system. That language system in and of itself is a wave-collapsing system. And that means that it tends to limit our ability to experience. It, it's as though categorical thinking is built on collapsing wave states, whereas when you're in a meditative state, you're not necessarily, and you're beyond what's called the discursive mind in Buddhism, which is beyond language, you are receiving information at massive rates. And in a sense, you have mystical sight. You can see reality from a multiplexed or omnivalent view. And you're, you're, just as when people report, reporting on near-death experiences where not only are they having a white light experience, but some of them are reporting how they have their entire life will flash right before through within a matter of seconds, right? Everything they did. Everything, down to details. And this question is, how in heck would that be possible? Because the brain, the brain alone cannot process that volume of information in such a tiny amount of time. Now, what a lot of people don't know, uh, and I'll add to this, this discussion right here, is that when you look at all of the major classes of hallucinogens, be it DMT, psilocybin, LSD, or whatever, all of them have a huge population. When you look at a molecular di diagram called Lewis diagram, you'll see that those molecules are full of these aromatic rings. Is it any coincidence that they are packed with aromatic rings? And I don't and think there are coincidences, ever. No, they're associated with these altered states and these higher states of awareness. And... Just the conventional neurotransmitters of dopamine and serotonin are themselves also built around these aromatic ring structures. And they're associated with motivating us, right? And for our sense of, of well-being. So this is not a coincidence. This is a signpost that we need to pay attention that these structures are built within our system. So all I can say is when you, we get back to this question about what, where does the primal mind fit into all this, well, I would say that the primal mind is just your baseline. It's a baseline operating system for having a body in, a, in an environment. But that doesn't mean it's the limits of the system. The system is gifted with this, this huge, subtle structure that's capable of, of dealing with light. How else can we explain people who have memories of previous lives, people who have near-death experiences, people who have telepathy. And, and there's a lot of good evidence in science today that would say that 
by Daryl Bem and, and Dean Radden that would say telepathy is not pseudoscience. It is science. And it, the, 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 the current mainstream science hasn't caught on to this yet. Why? Because categorical thinking is collapsing the very thinking processes of a lot of the scientists who are not being open to really what's going on. That's not to say all scientists do that. Einstein, John Wheeler, and many others, uh, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, these people have gone back to becoming, we could call them scientist mystics. They understand that there is this subtle dimension of reality that is really the thing that's calling us to investigate, because that's our true nature. We're, we're being called on a path, and so the primal mind is just one part of the process of instructing the soul in what we need to learn here on Earth with that compassion and maybe some wisdom lessons, but that doesn't tell the whole story. It's a part of the story, and it's probably a very necessary part of the story because I think it's the discipline that we need in order to become quantum beings just like that character Q in Star Trek. You need to have a disciplined mind with virtuous conduct to live in a quantum realm. Otherwise, it becomes mayhem. Paul, you have looked at the work of one of our guests, Bruce Lipton. Tell me. Yes, yes. Now, there's a lot of territory to cover in that. Bruce has said some really interesting things. One of the things he said is that intelligence is found on the membrane, outer membrane of cells, for example. Uh, he's gone beyond that. Uh, sure he's gone has. into the, the question about <clears throat> consciousness having an impact on changing the, the, literally the genetic uh, makeup of our bodies. Now, the, the model that I just presented about these aromatic rings begins to provide the interface mechanism between how a conscious state could possibly have an impact on DNA structures and the creation of new proteins. That's where it gets interesting. That's where we can say our, our minds are creating, in a sense, part of our physical reality. And in that sense, we can be... Sh shaping our, our behaviors, not just our behaviors, but our very physical states to become uh, something that is much more open-ended or something that is actually closed down. And when it's closed down, my, my suggestion is that that's more likely associated with illness, that's more likely associated with psychological and spiritual complaint. Where is intelligence based? In the wow. brain? <laughs> or is it outside of the brain? That's R Rupert Sheldrake, who's a friend of mine, and, uh, and he's, he's maintained the idea for a long time that the mind and the intelligence associated with the mind is a field proposition right. that exists right. independent of the brain. Do you agree with that? I agree. I would agree with like maybe 90% of that. I would say one should not be so quick as to dismiss the physiological structures that are accompanying the field, the mind field. Because we, after all, we are human beings. And there is a purpose for us to being in an incarnated state. So the, 
the fact that our physiology at a subtle, at this microscopic, like the tiniest of microscopic states, is capable of actually holding this kind of information, which suggests that the field itself is being uh, maintained or amplified by interface with the environment and other people. Who maintains the field, though? What creates that? That intelligence is probably... Is it God? I would say that the creation, you know, like we, we, you know, we grew up with the story of God creating the, the universe and the earth and, 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 and all animal kind and humankind. Um, you know, as you, as you age, you start becoming a little bit more sophisticated and assume, well, that's a very pretty childlike story, childhood story. But, you know, I think there is a great deal of, of, of legitimacy to the idea that there is a supra-intelligence that's embedded in the universe that is actually responsible for the design of these systems. It's certainly not something we're designing. I didn't incarnate into this world with the idea, oh, I better have some aromatic ring of amino acids and DNA aromatic rings to make sure that I'm capable of, of interfacing with my, you know, like an avatar with this body. I didn't create that. Nor did you, nor did any scientists on this planet. That comes from something much bigger than us. And if you want to call that God, I'm for perfectly comfortable with that idea. I have no problem with that. But it is, a higher, it is a higher order of intelligence that may be embedded within the universe itself, which could be of incalculable age, right? Well, that's possible, too. It's fascinating work. Where does science take this next, Paul? I mean, what happens next? I think ch- science itself, George, is having to go through a transformation. I think we're at the, with the dawn of the quantum age in the 1920s, it's almost been, not quite, we're almost at a 100-year mark of quantum physics b- coming into existence. And yet, we have yet to embrace the full implications of what that insight means to reality, to consciousness, and to even to spiritual, uh, our spiritual dimensions. And I think science, you know, quantum physics is probably the most troubling paradigm for conventional material science. It does not find, it doesn't, like Einstein said, he didn't like spooky action at a distance. Scientists and people generally are mystified by what the heck is going on with this stuff. And yet, that's where science has brought us, and it's now saying this is the next step in our evolutionary journey. So, you know, when we look at the cover of the book, and it's got a chimp in front of a chessboard, and, and, and if chimps, and I believe chimps are our common ancestor, we come from a common ancestor, we are on an evolutionary journey, and not just an evolutionary journey of the corporeal being, but an evolutionary journey of our soul being, but incarnated. So the incarnational experience as human beings, I, I, I remember going to a Buddhist teaching not too long ago, and a, and a woman told me, she said, the beauty of the human experience is that it's between a divine realm and a hell realm, and that we get to experience both. And what's so very interesting about that is that because of that, we are capable of 
having the potential of an enlightenment, because the enlightened state has to be able to take in the full gamut, the full spectrum of all ex- existential possibilities. And that's the part. A lot of people want to transcend the physical and say, ah, you know, the body, what a drag, you know, it would, it's going to die, what, you know, let, it, the ultimate ex- enlightenment experience is beyond body. Well, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's a much more, much more complex proposition that the body is a necessary uh, stepping stone for the higher evolutionary state that is being played out in this universe. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.